1: The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Review, now on Blaze Media. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. Excited to end this week here on December 7th because it truly is a special day. The 77th anniversary of Pearl Harbor, where I think, you know, it's certainly nothing to celebrate. We memorialize it, but what we actually are celebrating is our response to it. The resolve of a nation that understood exactly what the threat was and what it wasn't, understood what needed to be done, embarked on the most insane war you could ever imagine. If you just look at just the Pacific theater alone of that war, the stuff that greatest generation endured, the intrepid morality, yes, morality, behind the tactics they use to confront the most brutal tactics of the Imperial Japanese, um, the bombing raids they did on Japan, um, we com- w- 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 we salute that generation because they understood what foreign policy national security meant in the context of protecting our people when we were actually attacked. Nowadays, things are a little bit more murky. And in case you haven't noticed, it's Foreign Policy Friday. Things have gotten murky. Things have gotten very murky because now we have subtle threats where we have elites who run Western civilization that you didn't have during the 1940s, where it allows our enemies to subvert us from within because in those days they couldn't get away with that type of stuff. So we bring them in through immigration. We allow them to fund terror on our shores. And then we allow them to lobby on our shores allow them to dictate our policies, get ourselves involved where there is no threat, get ourselves involved with alliances that are really harmful to us, and then screw those that are helping us and everything's backwards. That's where we are nowadays. We need to restore that intrepid focus of our political leaders that existed in the day that will live on in infamy. And with us to sort this out, as always, is our national security correspondent here at Conservative Review, Jordan Shackdale. Hey, Jordan, how you doing?
0: Hey, Daniel, good to be with you again.
1: Yeah, no, we got tremendous feedback. I uh, can't tell you the number of emails we got, really enjoying these episodes, the breakdown, the perspective we give. Um, there's a lot going on at our border I want to get to because, again, foreign policy starts with our own border, the biggest threats. But want to start off with the main topic today, why cutter, or as you call them, gutter, is the gutter of the Middle East, that everything that happens nowadays that's a problem to us is not like the Imperial Japanese Air Force. Now, that is always a looming threat. We have from Russia, from China, eventually Iran could be that way, and certainly the nuclear threat, which did not exist at that point. But what you really have is the terror finance. Money is the mother's milk for all this. Uh, most of these people can't threaten us jack squat if we don't let them in the country and if they don't have any money. Those are the two elements that we need to focus on. Why it does Cutter sit at the nexus of all of this? And could you just explain a little bit for our listeners, what exactly is the emirate of Cutter? Meaning... How do they fund everything if they're kind of very loosely, it's kind of a loose government there. What's go, what is going on there and why should everyone care about them?
0: Yes, yeah, So Qatar's is a tiny country in the Gulf um, founded. I believe it was in the 19. It, it's a very recent country, less than a hundred years old. Um, and, You know, it's been independent, and it's been independent even less than that, probably been independent since I think it was 1970 or 1971. Um, Very rich country because of its uh, luck with geography, uh, tremendous energy wealth. The royal family and gutter is, you know, wealthy beyond imagination. I believe they have the highest uh, per capita uh, so-called income in the world or wealth in the world. Um, and it's, you know, there's tens of thousands of people that live there and a couple million expats that do what what amounts to slave labor to prop up the monarchy there. And they have become known as, at least in my opinion, and according to a lot of uh, high profile think tanks and a lot of bipartisan actors on both sides as the world's number one Sunni state sponsor of terrorism, and Qatar does this, as you said, through financial support, but also through providing tremendous propaganda value um, through Al Jazeera, which is probably the most popular broadcasting station in the Middle East, especially for Islamists. And they domestically provide safe haven. They don't need, they don't necessarily only you know export arms and money to terrorist groups, but they actually Import and provide safe haven to Taliban members, members of the Muslim Brotherhood, people connected to Al Qaeda and ISIS. So they, it's really an all-encompassing um, theme here: their support for terrorism.
1: So really, this is the honeypot. Meaning, you know, if you're the Taliban, if you're ISIS, if you're Al Qaeda, if you're Hamas, they're all based there. Um, but at the end of the day. We, you know, if you're concerned about those various civil wars you have with the tribal warfare, and, and a lot of times we shouldn't be concerned, but, you know, rather than trying to win over hearts and minds and rebuild these nations, which will never happen, we could use soft power against the nation that's funding it in the Middle East, it's funding it in, in, in America, it's funding all the terrorism simply by by not allying with them. But obviously we have CENTCOM. Now, what I've heard from people over the years is that money talks. Like a lot of policy is not ideological. It's built upon the military industrial complex. And, you know, basically we've there's a there's a whole constituency in America that earns a hell of a lot of money dropping bombs on Sunni countries. I mean that's that if, if you know, when it when it boils down to it, that's what it is. It, it's nothing to do with a strategic vision or even being hawkish. It's just that that's what it is. So there's a, a very strong pro Iran strain among the entire foreign policy establishment tied to DoD. Sencom is in Qatar, and Qatar is even though they're um, ironically Sunni, but that's the nexus of Hamas Sunni turkey where they're actually allies with iran while funding the sunni terrorist groups now sometimes the sunni terrorist groups will butt heads with iran but they're both supported by iran is that is that uh, by qatar is that correct
0: yeah uh, both sunni terrorist groups and um i think the the iranian regime directly has an open relationship with the nation of qatar that continues to get closer. As gutter um, fails to abide by the demands of their neighbors, who kind of want to rein in their um, empowerment of Islamists, because what gutter is doing in financing and facilitating support for all of these groups is that they are threatening all of their neighbors. Um, so they've decided after President Trump gave the his Riyadh speech which was probably the most important foreign policy speech of his tenure. So far, he demanded that, you know, these Arab Muslim countries rein in the threats from within and around the region. And you saw a great response from several countries in the Middle East, uh, including Egypt, uh, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Jordan, um, some other countries. And they began a, a blockade of gutter And gutter has responded by doubling down um, on terror finance, and also by aligning with these anti-American actors, whether it's the Iranian regime, Muslim Brotherhood, uh, you know, Al-Qaeda in Syria, the uh, Erdogan regime in Turkey. So they've become, I think, defiant um, in the face of pressure. And unfortunately, as you said, we have so many ties to the defense industry. The Al-Udeh Air Base in Gutter is the forward headquarters of CENTCOM. And um, we have over 10,000 troops there. So it's, it becomes a huge issue. And I think that the officials in Doha, the capital of Qatar, are using that as leverage. The fact that there's an American, there's an American protectorate stationed in Qatar. So there's nothing the Saudis and Demiratis and their partners can blockade them. But at the end of the day, if there's this relationship with the US and we pretend that they're um, forwarding our interests, there's only so much we can do to stop their terror finance.
1: So, does that explain? Because I was wondering just geographically how this happened that, you know, Qatar is a Sunni nation and the other Sunni nations are really, you know, they view Iran as a consummate threat to them just like we do. Even though they're all Muslims, but you know they they view them as a threat. Saudi Arabia, UAE, um, obviously Egypt, um, and Qatar's right there, and yet they're on the other side. So, are you saying that because we already had CENTCOM there for many years, often for dubious reasons, which we'll get to? You know, why do we even need to be there? Because we ha- we need to fly missions doing other stupid things. But the point is, so they feel they could have their cake and eat it too have America wrapped around their finger and then not have to fight Iran either and actually join with them.
0: Yeah. And, and these are people, as I said um, earlier in the show, these people are, are filthy rich and there's only about, you know, a handful. There's tens of thousands of gutteries that are responsible for all of this stuff. So if the U S really wanted to partake in an effort to track all of these terror financiers, they would be able to do so pretty successfully. I mean, only 11%, I believe, of gutter of is actually Qatari ethnic people. The rest are imported, and they're you know, just very low on the totem pole. So you can really target and isolate these individuals and groups that are responsible for all of this. And I think that they're motivated by several factors. I think there's like the radical Islamic ideologue. There's people who are, who are motivated by power, too. And then there's that nexus of wanting to um, bring gutter to this level of greatness. And they don't really want to be a partner among the nations. They want to be, um, unfortunately, you know, one of the world's most um, radical Sunni countries. And by doing so, you know, they're supporting all these terrorist groups. And um, what was the uh, does that fulfill the answer about uh, what do you want to? Talk about in terms of like the U.S. military and the uh, the, Q- the Qatari regime.
1: So, so I mean, I, I guess what I'm coming up on here is um, let's start with this story. We had the Times of Israel report this week that Iranian planes they and they were using commercial airliners, which we've always su- suspected, and that's why it was important for the Trump administration to, to sanction them when the media was making fun of him for talking about that. You know, there's like, oh, they're not doing that. Well, they were caught sending all sorts of stuff to Hezbollah, and maybe we'll get to that later, the whole war that they're preparing for um, on Israel's northern border with their tunnels that they're, that they're digging. So the interesting thing is, you noticed, Jordan, I'm sure you saw that they, f- they flew the planes back to where? To Doha. Um... And it just seems like we're not saying anything. So that's why I was just wondering if it's all because of the mil- the military leverage that um, we don't seem to say much about them, but we're all focused now on bashing MBS in Saudi Arabia.
0: Oh, right. So there's this line of thought, and it's very prevalent in the Pentagon, um, and I completely disagree with it, that gutter is a useful mediator um, for us and let's say the Taliban and Hamas and a gutter played a big role in the Bo Bergdahl exchange um, where we traded the five Taliban commandos for Bo Bergdahl who deserted his post in (laughs) Afghanistan. And those five Taliban people are now running the uh, Taliban HQ in gutter. Um, but anyway, this is a very prevalent view inside of the Defense Department, and I think it's a way of them rationalizing um, working hand in hand with this regime uh, because it doesn't. Cutter claims to be a mediator, but all of the evidence shows us that they are not just mediators; they support these groups. Whether it's you know this week sending millions of dollars to Hamas. Um, They tried to get, they successfully lobbied the uh, Syrian uh, al-Qaeda-linked group al-Nusra. I don't know if you recall a couple of years ago, there was a big thing about them changing their name um, to try to shield themselves from the al-Qaeda affiliation. And that was done um, through Gutter's uh, lobbying. And I, I think that the defense community wrongly sees Gutter as like, you know, this is how you can... Reach the terrorists is that you need to, they're great intermediaries. But I think what a lot of people don't understand is that this is just um, an excuse that they make to support terrorists. Um, They provide the home to Yusuf al-Gharadawi, who's the most important, who's the spiritual leader of the Muslim Brotherhood, the most important Muslim Brotherhood member alive today. And he gets lunch and dinner with the emir of Qatar on a weekly basis so people need to call out the regime in doha when they say that they're mediators because it's one thing to you know have an open line with these groups but they do much more um, as proven through tons of research through our government and through international organizations
1: so this brings us to continuation of last week's show with what the Senate is doing now with Saudi Arabia. They held a cloture vote last week on this resolution to stop supporting the Saudis in Yemen. And you literally have this maniacal focus now, and you just wrote about it, we're going to link to it in our show notes today, your article about Lindsey Graham's effort to call his resolution with several other senators, Democrat and Republican, to call for regime change in Saudi Arabia. So I, I, I'm i old enough to remember when I was yelling about the Saudis being terrorists. And no one cared. No one cared. Because when they were the terrorists, they controlled America. They, they controlled our foreign policy establishment. They invested so much in our country. Then finally, when Qatar becomes the new Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia has a new government under MBS, that whether you like it or not, half glass, empty glass, half full, The guy's fighting the bad guys. He's certainly not fighting us anymore. And he's the guy we would call for regime change?
0: Yeah, it's. I I should remind the listeners to this podcast um, how much of an impact Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, who's the de facto leader there because his father, King Salman, is not particularly um, well. He's a very old man. So MBS is running the show, and this is a guy who last year vowed to um, re- to return Saudi Arabia to what he called moderate Islam, and he, for the first time ever in Saudi Arabia's history, essentially declared war on the Wahhabi Islamist class that had immense influence over the country, and so that's, I think, the most important thing in terms of um, Coming closing in with U.S. Um, interests in the region is that he is a force for anti-Islamist uh, sympathy and really lines up well with our foreign policy there. But in addition to that, he's made groundbreaking strides in terms of, uh, you know, inviting Jewish and Christian leaders into the country. I mean, Saudi Arabia was so Islamic supremacist, even as far as recently as a few years ago that this kind of thing would be unheard of. Um, he's advancing women's rights in the country, you know, slowly, obviously, but he's making strides in all types of facets inside and outside of the country. Um, you know, he's really fighting against the Islamist radicals, both inside Saudi Arabia and he's partnering with um, other allies in our fight against global jihadis. So this is a guy who's done so much to, help advance American interests. And you have, now we have a group of senators, uh, Lindsey Graham, Rubio, uh, Diane Feinstein, some other Democrats, Chris Coons. And then of course, Bob Corker, who's like the Qatari shill. Um, they want, they are essentially demanding MBS's ouster, which is, it, it, it's hard to um, put into words how outrageous, and way over the line, that is, Um, the Saudis will perceive this. They have perceived this as a call to basically topple the monarchy, and it's going to harm our relations with Saudi Arabia. Um, We're very lucky to have President Trump in the White House right now and hopefully not listening to this contingent of regime change senators who by the way also were at the forefront of regime change efforts in Libya in Syria and Iraq and elsewhere.
1: But but Jordan it's worse than that. Here's the irony. Here's the irony. All of the places where they wanted regime change, their whole myth was built upon oh we need we need moderate islamic leaders. We have to empower the moderates against the extremists. Remember, I mean that was the dogma. And here and and you know, it, it was it was made up. But here you actually finally got one. I mean, who could have imagined Saudi Arabian government would turn like this? And rather than just, you know, you don't even have to be such good friends, just let them go after the bad guys. You go in and fight them to empower the bad guys. It, it, it boggles the mind here. And it's not just a few senators. It's the entire echo chamber of right and left. The think tanks, the media apparatus. Fox News people, um, they're all – it's funny because like they'll never criticize Trump when Trump does something liberal. But when he finally actually does something good, then they'll, of course, attack him from the left. And this is where I want to turn for our listeners to America, the subversion on our own soil, why we should care again about foreign policy, what's happening on our own soil with the Qataris. Um, Politics is an art. You can't look at things in a vacuum. Right, you you always have to look at where the heck is this coming from? And I think you've spent a lot of time focusing on the Khashoggi narrative while I've been spending time focusing on what is seemingly, but not exclusively, a domestic policy issue, jailbreak, the so-called criminal justice reform. And Jordan, watch the footwork that I'm going to do here. Watch the comparison. You you Every once in a while you have an issue that randomly is shoved into the Political theater. It doesn't make any sense you should focus on it. You wonder where it's coming from. But all the masters of the universe get together and say, this is the moral thing to do. The moral order is we can't separate the families at the border. The moral order is the virtue signaling over Khashoggi. Like, you know, the Turks, the enemies of MBS kill journalists every second who are pro-Western. This guy, let's say, bumped off a pro-Al Qaeda journalist and suddenly, you know, w- we need to change everything for him. We have tens of thousands of people dying a stone throws away from the most brutal car- cartels. The um, the what do you call the, the Yalisco cartel on um, just south of our border is just executing people left and right. And they're they're literally empowered by the virtue signaling of our open border policies because these guys get, are getting so much money and drugs into our country they don't care it's not cool to care about that um and then they they get together and you know i know i know i'm deviating a little bit here but i i needed to do it at some point for our listeners since i recorded the show yesterday fox news announced in an unprecedented press release that they officially took a position on a piece of legislation endorsing the so-called first step act And that should tell our listeners everything you guys need to know about jailbreak, the effort behind it, where it's coming from, and everything you need to know about Fox News. And what scares me is this is how you buy off a country. And this is why it's so important here that you and I are independent here at Conservative Review, the Blaze Media Network, independent of Fox News. Fox News has a monopoly on conservative thought. And it's not very conservative at all. It's liberal on most issues. And if you're able to make it that Fox News takes a position, you shut off all opposition. Because everyone who wants to be anyone in the conservative movement either has to get on Fox, they're already on there, or they badly want to get on there. And there's no way they can now take a position contrary to that. Now, I don't give a darn. I believe Fox News is an utter cancer. They're from the pit of hell on everything we stand for, and they need to be countered at every moment. But what they do is they say, this is the thing. And they flood the zone. Oh, criminal justice reform. Criminal justice reform. I'm like, what? Are you are you kidding me? So it's the same thing here. Khashoggi. Khashoggi. Uh, Saudis. The Saudis. And and you you see it, Jordan. They're doing this on Fox News all the time. I mean, what's the ratio of support for um, you know, the cutter and Turkey over NBS on on Fox? You know, it's pretty it's pretty bad, right? Um, I'm, I'm not seeing too many of. Our guys on there. It's
0: bad. It's it's bad across the media spectrum. Um, CNN, especially, they can't stop talking about this one man. And you, of course, see because of what the TV networks are doing, you see the senators and the congressmen. They don't want to stop talking about it either because it leads to TV appearances for them. So, of course, you know I'm watching Lindsey Graham's appearances, and all he wants to talk about is Khashoggi. Um, we had uh, CRTV's Eric Bowling talk about Khashoggi with him the other day. And Bowling said, you know, I hear he's a bad guy and all that. And Lindsey Graham, he kind of ignores that, goes straight to the talking (laughs) points. He goes, MBS is a wrecking ball. MBS is a wrecking ball. He's a bad guy. Look what he did. Um, And it's like, it's so bizarre that, you know, these senators, um, especially the ones that have been in Washington for too long, have become obsessed with these issues, obsessed. Uh, and it's it's you know it drives us crazy because we're all about instituting you know pro America conservative policies, and these guys are you know hooked to the TV and they just you know they're waiting for the Fox News Booker to call them.
1: And this is what I wanted to 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 get get to you with, and this is why I really want to draw an analogy from Jailbreak. And that's what we do here. We juxtapose multiple issues, even cross-foreign and domestic policy, because politics is an art. You have to understand the policies, which most of these people don't. But then also you have to understand the politics, because the policies don't happen in a vacuum. And with everything, money makes the world go around. Money fuels terrorism. Money fuels political advocacy. And you got to see where the money's coming from. So, look, you know I've studied jailbreak for years, long before anyone suddenly heard of this bill just a couple of weeks ago. This has been building for for years, and they created unanimity of opinion to the point where you're not allowed to think otherwise. Meaning, you're immoral if you don't believe in letting out the transnational gangbangers uh, that are fueling the. Death of 72,000 people from drugs, as well as most of the violence in places like Chicago. It's Ironically, it's actually not so much from the black gangs. It's really um, the transnational gangs uh, hooked into Mexico, um, the Alisco cartel, which is why um, under Sessions, the Justice Department designated them as a transnational criminal entity, along with MS-13 and Hezbollah. Um, and they noted that Chicago was their biggest problem. They have enforcers. They have agents in our own country. The stuff they're doing on our streets. We have we have Hezbollah, and they're not always connected. But I'm just saying a separate thing. Hezbollah, Sinaloa, Jalisco um, cartel networks, and I'm gonna have a piece on them coming out soon. Uh, throughout our country. I just sent to you, and we're going to link to this, another Lebanese businessman who we allowed to immigrate here um, was indicted, um, pleads uh, guilty to his Hezbollah money laundering charges. This is another trial we have in our country. And they don't give a damn. They don't give a damn about Iran or any of this stuff. And it's an obsession. So, again, I understand jailbreak. I know where it's coming from. It makes perfect sense. Cause every GOP donor which is hooked into the Fox Nexus is related to either Doug Deeson or the Kochs. and they flood the zone. They've given money to Heritage Foundation. I mean, this is how you have you know, we're wondering how, how how are people who for so long, you know, were advocating for the opposite, you know, for moderate Islam suddenly opposing the one moderate Islamic leader against the, the radicals. It's the same way. How do you have at the Heritage Foundation, John Malcolm, who heads the Ed Meese Legal Department stu- studies of, of legal department, legal department studies? I mean, and uh, he's the head of it. He's advocating for jailbreak when Ed Meese himself in twenty fifteen wrote a very passionate op ed against this very bill while he was testifying uh, before Congress in support of it when it was originally introduced in twenty fifteen and. The answer is you look at Heritage's donors. I mean, I used to work there. Um, Everyone is bought off. So let's come full circle to the Khashoggi thing, going after MBS and covering for Iran and Qatar and Turkey. Could you talk about the money trail of influence, of investment in America, like the Saudis used to do, of the lobbyists, of buying off even Jewish conservative leaders? Tablet has some... Articles on this. Could we best give over to our listeners how Cutter is creating an echo chamber of almost unanimity of opinion, just like they're doing, just like yeah. others are doing on Jailbreak?
0: So, Gutter has um, a monopoly. I don't want to say monopoly. They are an oligarch when it comes to influence, especially in Washington, D.C. Um, they have given tens of millions of dollars to the Brookings Institution. Um, between uh, at the last, In the last decade, they've pledged over $22 million. And I think they just pledged to give another 15 more to the Brookings. And uh, their scholars, according to the New York Times, are not allowed to take positions critical of the Qatari government. And they also have a satellite um, think tank campus in Doha. And they won't admit it, but... The reason why they do a lot of their work on the Middle East is to curry favor with their Qatari donors, who I believe may at this point be the number one um, donor at the Brookings Institution. So think about that. Um, you know, the, 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 besides the Center of American Progress, this is the think tank that's pushing out most of the stuff to Democratic politicians in Washington, D.C., So if they are bought off by Qatar, of course, people are going to become obsessed with Qatar's enemies, such as Saudi Arabia, the UAE. And that translates from white papers to hit pieces in the media. And it's not just the Brookings Institution. The Brookings Institution is one small segment of Qatar's influence campaign. They... Um, have put tremendous money into American universities such as Georgetown. Uh, Georgetown has a lot of influential academics that are close to uh, both Republican and Democrat administrations. Um, Gutter, when the Trump administration um, started, when Donald Trump was inaugurated, they um, started a multi million dollar effort to scoop up lobbyists who were close to the Trump administration. Uh, and then specifically, they also had an effort to um, get ties to the Jewish community, um, in essence, to kind of whitewash its support for Hamas um, and to get good PR for Gutter. Um, but they've been very successful in um, lobbying elements of the Trump administration to take it easy on their country. And that has resulted in, I think, especially people in DOD and the State Department to, instead of you know encouraging countries to isolate gutter, they are telling them to lay off. Uh, Lindsey Graham specifically, in terms of state-by-state lobbying, the Qatari Investment Authority, which is um, the Qatari government's Uh, You know, it's totally controlled, but it's their business agency and it's totally controlled by the monarchy. Um, They came into South Carolina earlier this year, pledging billions of dollars in investments in South Carolina. Um, So how does Lindsey Graham receive that? Why is he talking about gutter in his press release about MBS? Um, Why is he talking about Khashoggi all the time? You have to start, you know, thinking critically about, you know, what is motivating all these people to do these things? And unfortunately, the financial incentive has bought off a lot of the major players in Washington, D.C.
1: You know, for those of us who do this for a living because we actually believed in something, this is the biggest thing I think we've all learned. You know, I, I tell everyone, you know, just friends that, oh, wow, that's really cool what you do for a living. That's interesting. And the first thing I tell them is that, you know, everyone thinks that there's some grand debating society in Washington that just an ideological debating society. And really, when you look at it, it's not like that. It all boils down to money, which is why really, you know, when you look at the discernible policy outcomes, not the soap opera and the insults, but on the actual policies, the two parties and the two so-called movements are a lot closer to each other than people think and there's near unanimity of opinion on on jailbreak there's unanimity of opinion on the border i think we've succeeded in making more noise with more entities but there's still if you look at really where the money is unanimity of opinion there and with foreign policy it's like holy hell i mean you know i was i was speaking with today with um off the record with da agents with um A lot of people about the the drug wars and the cartels and the dangers of the migration. There's new immigration numbers out for November. We set another record. This is directly – I mean if you look at the nexus of migration, the drug cartels, the gangs, the drugs, the death, the poverty, the mayhem, the education system, the cultural problems. I mean you couldn't do that if you – invaded a country with a force i mean that is where every foreign policy should care about mexico they should have think tanks knowing everything about the cartels just from an intrigue standpoint but no there's no money there so there's no focus we often talk about this here on the show where it's not just that we bring an independent different perspective than not just you know the liberal establishment but the conservative establishment too which is often pretty liberal um (laughs) It's the panoply of issues that we choose to focus on, that if you objectively looked at the world domestically and foreign policy, what is a bigger story? You know, not not right or left, but just what's more important? We don't focus on that. We focus on what's not, what's driving that. It's all money. You know, I want to get your comment on this to tie this all together. So again, you would think a sane country would have an emergency budget fight over the border. That, that's what we need to have. So we're not having it. You know what, you know what they're doing? There's some senators that are saying that um, – and I think this is a political article. I'm trying to see where this is – that they're pushing Mitch McConnell to have a border battle over attaching jailbreak to the budget bill. Imagine that, like, that's the emergency. And then yet, it looks like we're going to succeed, that there's just not enough support, there's not enough time. You know why, in part? So Mitch Mitch is good on this issue. He doesn't want to do it, but you know what he said? We need time to pass a budget and deal with Saudi Arabia. (laughs) i'm not kidding it's an i'm trying to get this cotton's office just sent this to me what the heck it's just
0: like unbelievable It it, just an observation it's unbelievable that we've lost the house and the senate now which we still have a majority in they're debating whether to push through democratic priorities before it's too late you know it's like (laughs) (laughs) It's so ridiculously backwards that the two things that are important to the Senate, which is um, well, there's three things now. It's the you know the jailbreak legislation, it's the the border stuff, and the Khashoggi stuff, and it's all on the left's. um, You know, this is all the left's priorities. None of this stuff. Um, when it comes to, you know, we're not talking about border wall funding, they're talking about, um, immigration reform. So none of the priorities for Congress with the supposedly Republican majority that we have left for the lat for a couple of weeks, um, they don't even want to discuss our issues. And, you know, it's so outrageous that, that we are in this position right now to have to convince Republican leaders not to take up this legislation while they're still in the majority, but of, we, we don't even have remotely the leverage to push a conservative, uh, to push conser- conservative legislation before the clock runs out.
1: Yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing. Like typically often they're out by now already for Christmas. They're going to be in town next week and that's the thing they're going to work on. So, you know, we have a border crisis. We have a drug crisis. We have a gang crisis we have a judicial supremacy crisis we have a debt crisis and all of this merges really on the on the budget bill and yet their focus is to punish a, 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 the the first true moderate muslim guy that we could have only dreamt of having in a place like saudi arabia before I, I just – and again, I know where it comes from. By the way, Tom Cotton tweeted this out a couple of minutes ago. This is um, a Politico article where it explains it. We'll link to it um, where Trump's criminal justice reform nears his de, demise. And Tom Cotton said if if the jailbreak bill gets stuck in the spending bill, everyone bring your stockings to the Senate because we'll be there on Christmas. And then again in that article is where they discuss, well, we need time to punish Saudi Arabia. And I I, I just – um. You know, again, this gets back to a concern that I I really... I said to people yesterday when that Fox News statement came out, I said, I don't care where you are on jailbreak. If you don't care about it, if you don't know about it, even if you think you're on the other side of it. The fact that they're doing this, they've never supported a... P- CNN, NBC didn't come out with an official statement supporting it. And obviously, they do, but you know, they, they didn't... That tells you... We don't have free thought in this country. Now we do, obviously legally, but you need money to have a platform, and all the platforms are bought out. I am very concerned. Um, I told you this before. When it comes to Khashoggi, I have seen conservative, so-called figures, commentators, organization leaders that have never criticized Trump before. I've never separated from him. In other words, even when Trump went left. On issues they wouldn't criticize him, like on jailbreak. In fact, they support jailbreak. Yet they're willing to disagree with him on Saudi Arabia. That, I mean, to me, that demonstrates. And, and you know what I'm thinking of, Candace Owens. That whatever I'm, you know, we're not regulated by the FCC, but I still want to keep their standards here. Um, <laughs> you know, her and and uh, Charlie Kirk, that that Priorities USA organization. They they suddenly out of nowhere. Are maniacally supporting jailbreak and, and 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 they're bashing MBS. I've heard yeah, I've heard right. they got Qatari money, a, a but student, a domestic
0: yeah. student organization bashing MBS—quite interesting, right? And,
1: and that and look, and I, I can't say this. You know, a friend of ours has said has, has told me he he knows they're getting Qatari money. I I can't confirm that yet. So whatever, but that's what scares me. That I think we all. I mean, and just moving even away from foreign policy for a moment. I think we all need to recognize we need independence. We need, um, you know, we need people that are going to be relentlessly consistent, are going to pursue the truth. Uh, you could have people that disagree, but that you're not doing it because you're getting bought off.
0: Exactly. And, and people should be furious. Like, whether or not, and, and I think there's a clear case to be made that Khashoggi was a really awful person and, um, There is no reason why there should have been an international case made for him. Um, Whether or not you agree with us on Khashoggi, I think that the American people are pretty much unanimous that he is not a priority for the future of this republic. And that's why people should be so insulted when these issues come up and you have the entirety of our legislative branch. Talking about this stupidity that has nothing to do with the everyday lives of Americans. Whether the Saudis, um, you know, overstepped in allegedly executing someone in Turkey while he was applying for a marriage license. This is not priority number one million for the American taxpayers, let alone priority is top ten. So it's just so absurd. And and you're right. You know, we are so lucky. Um, you know, at CR and now Blaze Media to have essentially complete independence with what we write about. I mean, we are very open that we, you know, we'll get some editorial pushback um, about, you know, how our stuff is structured, but it's never something like, oh, you can't, you can't talk about this. Um, And we are one of the few entities that has that editorial independence, um, you know, that's so rare in the media environment, especially these days
1: it it really is and you know i i went on twitter last night and blasted fox and i i just don't care i know i'll never be invited back um the last time i was on was only because of levin tv and levin is different um but yeah i mean that's the thing i just it's not worth it, it it's just not worth it um especially nowadays you could reach so many people without it and i think that's what people need to learn just think for yourself i mean imagine if you know let's say even if you agree with me i i, I um I once wrote a piece at, I don't even know if you remember, Human Events Magazine, you know, what it used to be around. Um, Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I used to write some pieces there. So a front-page piece, this was maybe six, seven years ago, on the need for, you want to talk about reform, postal reform, the post office. Imagine if I would somehow successfully at this juncture get every single media outlet, every single think tank, every single conservative pundit journalist, all of a sudden talking about postal reform to the point where you might, you know, have a budget fight over it. Like you'd be like, well, even if I agree with you, like where the hell did that come from? And, and, and what does that say that you're able to do that? And that's what should scare everyone. And I want to just end off. Um, I just want to go through our listeners and could, could you stay on the line for another five minutes? Yeah, sure. Um, before we get, cause I just want to, I want to move away from, um, Cutter in the Middle East for, for a little bit just to get on to what really should be a priority. So, I'm gonna have a piece out today. Um, I sound like a broken record because every month we set a new record with the border numbers 30,000 family units were apprehended at our border, a total of 62,000 illegals in total. Um, we've only seen the total of si- uh, over 60,000 four times since, ob- since uh, the Great Recession. Um, But in terms of the 30,000 family units, that is the most ever on record. Um, That is all because of the virtue signaling. What do you have happening here? There was an 1,800% increase. I'm not kidding. Almost a 2,000% increase this year to date over fiscal year 2018 in family units coming to El Paso, Texas. And that sparked my interest because I was like, wait a minute. Rio Grande is where they all came in initially. Then they started coming in also in San Diego, Yuma, Tucson. El Paso was kind of quiet for many years. And now it's the second largest trafficking area. And, you know, what sparked my interest was that I said, wait a minute. You know, you know, you can't view anything in a vacuum. They're smuggled over by cartels. The cartels are the ones pushing them And our I don't want to call them laws because they're not the law, but policies set forth by the courts are encouraging them. And one of the cartels is this, again, new generation Yalisco uh, cartel, which is in many ways the picking up the remnants of the Zetas cartel, and they're the primary rival of Sinaloa. Last Friday night, there were two grenades thrown at our consulate in Guadalajara. There was a video put out um, by some guy like beaten up, you know, like a confession saying how, you know, it, it was done by this uh, GN, um JNPG cartel, whatever they call it, and it was you know to say, hey, don't mess with El Mencho. He's the nick the nickname for the leader of that cartel. Now, I think there's strong reason to believe that it was a rival cartel setting them up because. Uh, now that cartel is putting out billboards. We didn't do it. We had nothing to do with it because they don't want to raise the ire of our military to actually do what we should be doing and go in there and pay attention to them. They just want to continue their smuggling. But you understand that when you have an 1,800% increase of migration in their territory, that means that every one of our border agents is dealing with the bogus asylum. And the, the most brutal cartels are bringing in the gangs, the gang leaders, the drugs, the drug leaders, likely middle easterners as well flooding our country that is foreign policy friday that is foreign policy and no one cares you know what i'm saying and i think jordan i mean i'm giving you your next assignment we need to study this not just from a border perspective but from a foreign policy statecraft perspective and what we're doing with the mexican government and these cartels why aren't we using the military the aid the carrot and stick, the diplomacy, everything we do in the Middle East for 30 years, Sencom. Why don't we have SOUTHCOM set up in Juarez or Ciudad Laredo and a buffer zone dealing with? I, 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 like, I don't understand. I mean, tell me what in the Middle East is killing as many people as the Mexican cartels and everything that that's related to them.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely the linkage, but in terms of the priorities, um, you know, you have to say that the border issue needs to be solved way before we start talking about Khashoggi and other issues. And, you know, there is that nexus between the cart Like, the, these people wouldn't be able to get into the country as easily as we've discussed on uh, past podcasts without the support of Mexican cartels that are t- totally um, unrestricted. And, you know, the Mexican government is basically... I don't want to say helpless, but they're in a very vulnerable, vulnerable position. Um, I think with U.S. assistance, perhaps, you know, we can help them take back some sovereignty against the drug cartels. So, you know, maybe that's something that we can definitely um, you know, kind of draft out for a long form paper uh, yep. to get the ball rolling on this issue.
1: Well, we definitely need that. And, and, and again, I mean, where's the Lindsey Graham in saying, you know, we need. Not, not really regime change, but we need to clean out the drug cartels. Again, not, I, I want to make it clear we have a diverse audience in terms of if, what, how hawkish you are on drugs. It's not about drugs. Drugs is the means, not the ends. It's we need to be doing this anyway to protect our sovereignty because of the migration problems and all the cultural and fiscal problems we have from it. We need to do it because of the violence. Again, most a lot of our inner city violence is because of um, – you know, we have transnational cartel and gangs – Enforcing a lot of this in our major urban areas, um, when you look at the major bust they just did in Massachusetts, ICE to, and DEA took down 50 people with an, you know enough uh, fentanyl to kill uh, kill out half the uh, half of Massachusetts. These were all foreign nationals, and a lot of them were let go by sanctuary cities, and they were they were brought in on drug charges. I mean, and this is where it all ties together. And again. These are the people that the feds prosecute on drug charges and these are the people they want to let go. It all ties together understanding how to properly diagnose a problem, properly study an issue. But you can't properly study an issue if you don't have independence, if you're just taken to where the political system wants to take you. You know, one of the things I'm proudest of is the work we've done to expose the true drug crisis, not an opioid prescription crisis. That were hurting pain patients in order to shield sanctuaries, drug cartels, Ms. Thirteen, um, and even Hezbollah terror financing. That's where it all is. It's just so sad that we don't have that vision that we had in um, in 1941, where we understood an enemy, we were willing to go after it. There was no PC. No one was buying us off. Um, and I don't know. I don't know how we get back to those days, but we just need to punch these people in the face, uh, you know, rhetorically and um, and get there. Uh, last couple minutes, uh, where are we? We're already kind of, yeah, close to the end. Um, could you just give our listeners an update to come full circle on his Hezbollah, Iran? What is going on in Northern Israel with the operation with the tunnels? I'm going to how serious it is, because I will tell you, I've met a lot of intel people that have told me they believe that the tunnels we're seeing in America from the cartels. Um, My buddy, uh, Sheriff Wilmot from uh, Yuma County, told me that they just dealt with a tunnel there. A lot of people have told me they've gotten Hezbollah training. Um, So again, it ties into our homeland. But what's going on in Israel there?
0: So Israel is launching a new campaign to raise awareness about the sophisticated network of Hezbollah tunnels, which Hezbollah operatives, uh, the soldiers, are digging into areas of northern Israel, so that they can basically launch um, clandestine attacks, uh, conduct kidnappings, uh, you know, murder of civilians in the event of a war with Israel. So they will be um, prepared, you know, on that front. And what Israel is doing is that they're um, really investing heavily in now trying to destroy these tunnels first and foremost, and also uh, talking, you know, raising international awareness that Hezbollah is directly violating UN resolutions and international law, and also violating Israel's sovereignty. Um, And there's fears now that Israel is going to have to calculate at what point it needs to launch a preemptive attack against Hezbollah's um, base of operations in Lebanon, because they can't you know, get to the point where they feel that they are existentially threatened um, or that you know, thousands of lives can be lost in a war. So, you know, they can continue to launch airstrikes in Syria against Hezbollah. Um, But if Hezbollah builds up to a point where Israel says, you know, we need to get something done, and by the way, Hezbollah is violating international law and UN sanctions and all of that, that Israel is is launching a two-pronged effort to rally support um, from the international community and basically raising awareness about what exactly Hezbollah is doing. And these terror tunnels that they're building are being built, um, usually... Inside the the entry point in Lebanon is inside civilian homes, so it's very difficult for Israel to simply blow up these homes on the Lebanese side. So they need to dig them up on the Israeli side, and it's um, you know becoming a really uh, you know full throttle effort at this point. Uh, and you know the UN, of course, is ignoring the the UN troops that are stationed on the Israel. Lebanon border are completely ignoring what's going on, and the United Nations is ignoring what's going on, but that should come as no surprise to anyone at this point.
1: Remember that. That was the legacy of our friend Condi Rice. Remember the big conservative hero, right? That was what, 2006? I think um, Bush's second term, which was really a forerunner to Obama's foreign policy, um, she just, I mean, she just screwed Israel with that.
0: Yeah, there have been U.S. calls since the end of the Obama administration to put observer forces, and sometimes they've been implemented. And everywhere they've been implemented, Israel's enemies have casually violated everything that they stand for, and they haven't been called out. So they're basically, at this point, they're anti-Israel observers observer forces and they only observe what Israel's doing. So it's it's awful.
1: <laughs> and and just one final point to just tie this whole show together. Israel's in this predicament in large part because of the same virtue signalers that are now complaining about MBS. You know, they always again everything's in a vacuum. There's no vision. ISIS, ISIS, we gotta fight ISIS. Well ISIS was nothing more than the Sunni insurgency against Assad and the Iranian hegemony. Now, they're they're equally as horrible, and they did horrible things, but strategically, there's nothing we could have done about it, and we cleaned out the area on behalf of Iran. We just gave it to them. When, again, I mean, this is what... Uh, the media has in, in in making ISIS like, oh my gosh, there's ISIS everywhere. But... ISIS was just kind of the cool flavor on the block, and now it's kind of, you know, went by the wayside for a couple of years in terms of inspiring people, but in terms of command and control strategic terrorism, you don't really have so much of a problem with Sunniism um that threatens us directly, other than just letting in radical Sunnis through immigration. You got the Hezbo's every day I see another trial in our country. In our country. Um... Funding all of this. Yeah, and It's yeah. a much
0: more sophisticated effort, you know, when you can
1: compare it to like the
0: Somali refugees, so-called refugees and the people who want to, um, you know, the people that aspire to be ISIS members. Um, when we hear about it, they're usually caught planning attacks. Um, they don't really have communication with like, you know, any type of like ISIS infrastructure. They're usually watching videos online by like Al Qaeda preachers, like Al Laki, who was killed in a drone strike a decade ago, or you know watching Bin Laden sermons or Al Baghdadi, the leader of ISIS, and then they decide you know to get together with a few like-minded friends and say you know we're going to blow up this building on uh, you know September first, and that's their. With the Iranian agents. As you said, they have a command and control structure. They're often sent to Lebanon, to Iran for training, and they have intelligence agents on the ground. Um, So an Iranian operation against the United States through Hezbollah, through Shiite radicals, is a much more um, sophisticated threat to us. And, you know, that's why it was so important to stop, and still is so important, to stop the Iranian regime from developing a nuclear bomb, because that'll just give them more leverage, already having operatives in America to, you know, eventually attack us and and commit terrorist attacks inside the country, too.
1: Because that's what really scares me about an open war there um, with Hezbollah on Israel's northern border, is that... What the Iranians typically do is they leverage a PR war from the West against Israel, and one of the ways they leverage it, which they've been doing, you see, with the Iranian sanctions. You know, you, you normally you would think, well, you would kiss up to Europe in order to get them to, you know, help make an end run around U.S. sanctions, but they actually had a number of terror attacks that Iranian agents, um, you know, tried to do in France and Belgium, and that was their their leverage over them. Hey, uh, you know, you wouldn't want to be attacked. And that's also how they get the Europeans to dump on Israel. Now, not that they need a reason. They like doing it anyway. But um, they'll, my fear is they'll turn on those agents and not just in Europe, but in America as a way of getting America to go weak, which you would hope Trump obviously wouldn't. um, Because again, what I've seen, what was very scary is we know that you have in this country all the Hezbollah agents that are Fundraising for them with their contraband, with the drug trade, uh, different illicit activities. Some of it even legal. Um, sending money back so they could fund their Middle East stuff. But what was amazing about this Karani trial, which is slated for March, and the 302s from the FBI, and we're going to talk about this more in the coming weeks when we have Todd Benzman on my new uh, one, of, one of my new friends, uh, former Texas DPS intel guy who was a journalist in Latin America, so he knows a lot about Hezbollah. And he, what he was saying, what amazed him is that these guys are trained in cloak and dagger tactics, meaning they weren't just, you know, what this unit 910 of Hezbollah that was exposed in this um, in the court documents showed is they're not just doing terror finance. They they are potentially able to be turned on at a moment's notice and attack us, attack targets here, Um. You know, not just like suit terrorists, but like uniform terrorists, you know, um, operational guys. So it just, again, what we should and shouldn't do, we got to get back to the intrepidness of the World War II generation, where we were smart enough to identify a problem, brave enough to confront it, didn't get distracted on other things, weren't politically correct about it, and truly put America first. Jordan, any closing thoughts?
0: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. In uh, World War II, we were fearless in labeling exactly what our enemies were. And during even the Cold War, you know, very fearless as well in labeling it communism as an ideology. And the same goes with Islamism, whether it's uh, promulgated by the radicals in gutter through the Sunni sphere or in Iran for the Shiites. That you you have to be unafraid to... um, really point out who the enemy is and what we need to do about them
1: and to do that we need to retain our independence and that's why the title of this podcast will be why Qatar is the gutter of the Middle East come get us boys we just don't care Um, we will not be bought off thank you for listening to foreign policy Friday send send us your emails what you want us to discuss in future episodes enjoy your weekend God bless this has been another episode of the conservative conscience